You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you guys can open up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we uh, continue our progression through this book, and it's interesting, the, the dynamic begins to kind of change here. And we've seen, going back to the beginning of the book, that, that uh, there was this great revival that broke out. You know, the day of Pentecost, and you have thousands of people coming. And it seemed like every time Luke was writing down this time where Peter would preach, you had like 3,000 or 5,000 or 2,000. And it finally gets to this point where Peter stops, or Luke stops dropping down how many people are, are accepting Christ because it, just the numbers have just ballooned so much that he just uses the word multitudes. And, um, and we, we talked about with Stephen a few weeks ago when we got into to Acts 6 and then into 7. Stephen, one of the, the first deacons, goes from you know, helping the widows get the food and all this kind of stuff to where he begins to grow and um, his gifts expand, and he goes and he begins preaching and teaching and all these things. And the Sanhedrin doesn't like what he's saying. And again, this is the same group that was in direct conflict with, with Jesus. And, and during his ministry, you have probably the same high priest, Caiaphas, that's involved. And, and so they just go on this hunt, and they, they get Stephen. And uh, Acts 7 is this, this long um, basic sermon that, that Stephen preaches in front of this religious Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. And the, the result of that, the, the ending to that, his reward for proclaiming the gospel was that they took him outside the city and they stoned him and he died. And he becomes the first real martyr of the church. And after we leave Stephen, this great wave of persecution begins to erupt in Jerusalem. And a lot of the initial um, wave of persecution was, was focused in towards these what they were called, and we refer to them a few times now, these Hellenistic Jews. And so these were Jews that kind of had a Greek influence, a Greek backing. And, and, uh, and so the disciples all stay in Jerusalem, but a lot of the other Christians begin to run. And one of the guys that we read about in Acts 5, when they make these first, um, or Acts 6, when they um, open up and they, they choose the first seven deacons, we, we read about Stephen, but we were introduced to another guy named Philip. And so last week we... we we see Philip, and he, Philip goes. He leaves Jerusalem, and he goes to Samaria. And we talked a little bit last week about this big division between Samaria and Jerusalem, and there's this big racial divide. Um, it, it was uh, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, and we talked a little bit about that history, about how going back even to the Old Testament, you know, several hundred years back when, when they were captured, when, when the um, northern kingdom was captured, that they, the Jews there inter, intermarried, and it created, again, what they viewed as this kind of half-breed society, and they weren't allowed back in the temple, and so they created their own temple, and they took 
um, and, and kind of began to create their own faith, if you will, that they, they would hold to the law of Moses. They would hold to a lot of these um, religious things, but they added some more myth-type stuff to it. But there was this great division, this great divide, but, but Philip finds himself in Samaria, and he begins to tell people about Jesus, and a great revival breaks out. And if you recall, last week we mentioned that one of the people there in this, in this city was this guy by the name of Simon. And Simon was a magician. He was a sorcerer. And he was well known to the point where like, like the people there in Samaria were, they were worshiping si- or Simon because he was like the David Blaine of the day or what David Copperfield or whatever. Isn't David Copperfield the magician? I don't know. I don't know. He could pull a rabbit out of his hat, I guess. And, and anyways, but, but, but he sees this and he sees all these people turning and following this, this preaching and, and following this teaching. And, and at first, we, we believe that, that Simon believes and he, he follows and, and, and everything seems to be pretty square. But, but word gets back to Jerusalem. And the disciples hear that there's, there's something special going out in, in Samaria. And so the disciples send Peter and and John down to check things and kind of verify, see what's going on. And it's interesting, and we didn't talk too, too much about this last week, but, but as you read that passage, we, we, we understand that it was a little bit different than, than it is today. So the people, there's some genuine conversions going on here, some people who are genuinely believing and accepting Jesus. They're, they're being baptized, but the Holy Spirit hasn't arrived on them yet. And, and Peter and John get there, and they see this, they kind of verify it, and then what they do is they begin to lay hands on these people and pray over them, and then the Holy Spirit is imparted on them. And when we get to Acts 10, we, we see the, the kind of the final transition in which the Holy Spirit departs at the point of salvation. But, but we see this, and, and this catches the attention of Simon. Again, remember, Simon's the guy who... who who's the magician, he likes all the magic tricks, and he sees Peter and John coming, and he sees this power that they have. And so Simon's reply, response, is he wants to purchase that power. And so he offers him money. He's trying to figure out what he can get. And we see kind of the unfortunate ending there as he's rebuked by Peter that that this Simon didn't truly believe. Um, Simon just wanted the attention. He wanted the power. He was intrigued by um, this following that, that Philip had gained. And, and we were reminded last week, reminded of, of even what James says, the half-brother of Jesus in, in his book later on, that just the knowledge of God isn't enough. You know, I, I heard it said once before that, that many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. And the idea behind that is they have the head knowledge, they understand, they believe that there's a God. And James himself says, like, the devil and the demons believe that there's a God and they shudder. But, but Simon and so many people even today, is they understand, they, they know there's a God, but they don't allow that knowledge to travel to their heart to where they make that ultimate choice to follow Jesus. And so Simon, after he's rebuked by, by Peter, doesn't ask for forgiveness, doesn't ask to, to, to know more and learn more about Jesus. Rather, he just asks, Peter to pray that bad things don't happen to him. And so Philip goes on, and, and, and this kind of revival, and, and we have multitudes in Samaria that are turning to Jesus. 
as a result of Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit's prodding. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. And we're just going to read a couple verses and maybe kind of stop and talk a little bit and then see where the Lord leads us. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. Now we're halfway through verse 27. But this is interesting to me. Because remember here, Philip has arrived in Samaria. I mean, he's, he's the big deal. I mean, he's the, he's the mega church pastor. He's, he's the one that's captured the attention of, of the whole town. I mean, he's the, the local celebrity now. And, and remember, you, know, you, you turn back a page or two, and you get back to the previous chapter. He's there in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, he's there. He, he, he sees this whole ordeal take place with Stephen, and he runs and with, with the rest of the people, and he goes, and he's faithful, and he's, he's telling people about Jesus. And even though there's persecution, and even though there's all these rumors of, of, of Saul coming, he's still faithful, but, but yet he gets here, and, and the reward, if you will, is this 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 big following and you see all these good things happening and and the reward he gets now is an angel shows up and the angel tells him to get up and go to Gaza and and notice how they describe Gaza this is a desert place (laughs) it's probably not the words you want to hear I don't know if if you're like me but chances are you've experienced this in life where you are to the best of your ability, you are trying to serve the Lord. Like none of us are perfect. We can get past all that stuff. But, but you're trying. I mean, you're in the Bible. You're reading it. I mean, you're praying. And, and, and you're doing what you feel God's calling you to do. And, and maybe some good things begin to happen. But have you ever, have you ever had this experience where, where something good seems to be going and then all of a sudden you kind of get this tap on the shoulder feeling where, where God's leading you differently? Maybe into uncharted waters. Maybe it's into something that doesn't appear to be all that uh, profitable, even financially, spiritually, physically. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Let's put it that way. It may not be comfortable. I've shared this before, but in my own faith journey, um, as God really dealt with me about following Him and ultimately getting into ministry, and that was a, a process that, that probably took way too long. And I'm probably to your surprise, I'm a little stubborn. And I remember in this journey, I, you know, I remember finally saying, all right, God, you've called and I want to be faithful to your calling. And so Court and I begin to make preparations. We make plans and um, go through the process of selling our business and all that kind of stuff. And, and it seems like God has all this stuff laid out right for us. And, and some of it, I believe, was God. Some of it was was us trying to create where we thought God wanted us. And you know, it wasn't too far after we took those big steps in our faith that God threw a radical curveball at us. And those things aren't comfortable, are they? Those times when, when you feel like you're doing what God wants you to do and, and you feel that there's some, there's some fruit and there's some evidence that this is it, and then all of a sudden God says, change of, I'm going to call an audible, and I want you to go. 
And if you're like me, maybe you have those times where you're like, all right, time out. Let's reevaluate this, God. <laughs> because um, here it looks good. I mean, it looks like it's stable. It looks like there's a good opportunity. We can be here. We can be faithful. We can, we, we, you can use us here. We, we, we're faithful to you here. But then God says, no, I want you here. But God, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it's, it's desert. There's, there's like nothing there. That won't be easy. It certainly won't be comfortable. And quite honestly, it doesn't make sense. And you know, when we're in those, those times, I think, I think it's, it's during those times where we can begin to see our heart. You know, um, those conversations with God aren't always easy. And, and quite honestly, if we're not careful, we be, can become bitter and angry. And, and say, God, why? why? Because, but this is good. Why, why would you send me over into a desert? And I quote this verse frequently. But Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. And, and, and what happens is in, we have this limited view, right? As we're looking at our life, we can only see kind of what's right in front of us. And, and, and God's up in heaven, and he sees the whole plan. He sees the whole blueprint. And, and, and we see just here and now, and we don't see the next step. And what's so interesting to me in this particular passage, this story here, he, he just tells Philip to get up and go. I mean, he gives him one step. Get up and go. Go, go to the desert. Go to Gaza. Leave all this behind. There's no promise of, of anything. It's just go. Just go. And I love, I love the way verse 27 starts in all of its simplicity. Because it says here, and he rose and went. I, if I were you, I, I would underline that in, in your Bibles. It just says he rose and went. He didn't bellyache. He didn't complain. He, he, didn't, he didn't break out. You know, this whole, okay, let's look at all the good things. Let's look at all the bad things. Let's look at all the challenges. Let's weigh all this. He knew God had called him. God had sent an angel. And listen, there are times in my life why I, I wish it was sometimes that simple, that God would send an angel and say, all right, Chad, here you go. Go there. And in my, in my mind, I would say, listen, okay, if an angel shows up, then I'll go. But I can tell you with great certainty, there are times in my life where I know that God is pushing and prodding and leading, and the reality is I don't need an angel to affirm that. And chances are you've all experienced that as well. And so Philip knows, I mean, listen, God's called me to go. He's been faithful in this journey so far, so I'm going to just get up and go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave all the celebrity status behind. I'm going to leave the big church. I'm going to leave all this here. I'm going to follow God and go. And so he gets up and he goes to the desert, to this Gaza. And so here we get, pick up again in verse 27. It says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so as he's walking, as, as, as Philip is, is walking, he comes across this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And this isn't just some Ethiopian. This isn't just some run-of-the-mill guy. This, this guy right here, and it says right here, he was, um, he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That, that word Candace there is not necessarily a name. It's a title. That title was given to the Ethiopian queens. And so he has a pretty influential job. He's the, tre- he's the queen's treasurer. Right? So in all likelihood, like this Ethiopian eunuch, he, he has, he's probably the second most powerful person in the Ethiopian kingdom. He's a bigwig. And he's on this road, and as Philip's, as, as Philip's walking, he comes across this, this guy. And um, it says there that he had traveled and come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28 says, And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so it was customary during this day that as people would read scripture, they would read it out loud. And so as Philip is, is walking along and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, he hears him reading scripture out loud. The Ethiopian eunuch is interesting in that he had traveled a great distance, several hundred miles. And again, we go back 2,000 years, and travel is much different back then than it is today, isn't it? I mean, today we can travel several hundred miles. We can hop on an airplane and be there in a few moments. So he had gone on a great, great travel, a great journey. And the interesting part about that was his journey led him to Jerusalem to worship. He had gone to the temple, and, and he didn't have the proper status that would allow him inside the temple. He was a eunuch. He was Ethiopian. He could get to the outer courts, and that was the, that was the best. That was as close as he could get. And he, so he goes, and, and he's looking for these answers. And so his first place to go is, is to this building, the temple, and he can't find what he's looking for. And so he leaves the temple, and he's headed back home, and here along this journey, he has these, these scrolls, and he has his own scriptures. I don't know if he got it in Jerusalem. I'm not sure if he had it beforehand. It doesn't matter, but he has it, and he's reading it. He's reading it out loud. And again, this is the second man in command, most, second most powerful person in Ethiopia, more than likely a pretty well-educated person, very influential person. And he's reading this, and he's confused. He has no idea what he's reading. And here comes Philip, and he asks him to hop in the chariot. And Philip asks him, he's like, hey, you having, you having a hard time with this? What, what, what's wrong? And he's like, I, can't, I don't understand it. It's too much for me to understand it. So even in, that kind of, even in that statement, we see that this Ethiopian eunuch was a humble person. And so he, he looked at the, at the temple for, for direction. Now he's been searching God's written word, and the Holy Spirit is sending him someone to help. And so he had been reading in Isaiah, and this, this passage is actually found in Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. But verse 32 says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34 says, And the eunuch said to Philip, 
About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We have spent a good portion of this first part of the year talking about our faith and trying to encourage each other to begin to share our faith. Wednesday nights, we're doing a study through a book called Multiply. And the, the premise of this study is to help equip us so we're prepared to be able to give answers and help people with these conversations. It's, it's interesting, though, as we talk about sharing our faith, and even if we were to take a poll today, how many of us think it's easy to tell other people about Jesus? Most of us will, will say it's, it's hard, it's difficult. And there's a variety of reasons for it, right? Some of it's fear of rejection. Some of it's a fear of, of, of people making fun of us. Sometimes it's a fear of not having the right answers. There's a whole plethora of reasons why we might struggle with it. But, but most of us will agree that it's, it's not easy. And sometimes the hardest part of sharing our faith is getting the conversation started, right? But here we have Philip, and it's like, boom. This guy's asking all the questions. I mean, it's, this, is, this is like a present wrapped, and it's begging to be opened. And so Philip begins to, to explain to him, and I, and I love how he's, he's trapped in this passage, and, and, and you couldn't ask for a better passage for somebody to be parked at looking for answers than Isaiah. And, and then from there, Philip all opens up the rest of the scriptures and begins to tell them about Jesus. And what a, what a beautiful, beautiful, amazing passage that it springboards off of. That when he says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And, he, and that right there is talking about Jesus. That whole passage in Isaiah is a description of Jesus, an Old Testament prophet talking about a Jesus that would happen, that would come. Here in, in the life of Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus had already come, had already died on a cross, had already risen. And so here, Philip is explaining to this eunuch, that, this Ethiopian eunuch, that, that Jesus came and that he died for you and I. And no doubt, probably told him the stories about how he was arrested, how he was beaten. And how as all that's going on, Jesus never once tried to talk his way out of it. See, that passage is, is very unnatural. I'm not a farmer. I, I'm not a guy that spends a whole lot of time um, with wild animals, okay? Let's call it the way it is. Or, an, or, or even domestic animals, unless you count four children. <laughs> Pretty close. It says there, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. Now, I've never tried to give a lamb a haircut, but I'm pretty sure they don't stay quiet. I, I remember as a little kid, my parents are here, so I know my mom will remember. I remember as a little kid going to get a haircut, and they turn those razors on, and I remember freaking out like you've never seen before. I mean, screaming bloody murder. I'm pretty sure they had me strapped in there every which way. My mom probably had her belt ready to... No. But, but I remember, I mean, I remember that, like, seriously, like, freaking me out. And, 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 and you think about that idea that all this is taking place. Jesus is going through all that and never once tries to stop it. With all of his power, while he was hanging on the cross, we know that he could have called down 10,000 angels. I mean, he could have stopped it all, but he chose not to. He, 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 he chose to suffer and to die for you and for me. 
The Romans 5.8 tells us that, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we are still messed up, while we're still sinning, and not just a matter of messing up here and there, I mean, we are running full throttle as fast as you can in sin. And even while we're doing that, Jesus took on our sin and died for us. And Philip is explaining this to this Ethiopian. I had a, a chance on Thursday to, to do chapel at NFC. And it was kind of a last-minute deal. And, and so I was just trying to, to share with them. And, and, and we talked about the love of Jesus. And, and here, here's what should happen with us. When we grab a hold of the love of Jesus, it ought to propel us to live different lives. So often when we think about Christianity and, and those on the outside, they look in and they, they view us as, as people that have to abide by a bunch of rules and regulations, right? I mean, that's what the outside looking in views. And then here's the reality. Sometimes us inside view it the same exact way. We view it as all these things that we have to do. But when we grab a hold and we, we fully understand how much Jesus loved us, you know, that's a game changer. That changes everything. I mean, I, 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 one of my favorite stories, and we're going to, it's probably going to be the premise of Easter Sunday, is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, he, and, and for those of us who remember the story, it's just mere hours, really minutes before he's going to be arrested. And he's praying, and he's in great agony. He knows what's about to occur. He knows that, that one of his dearest, closest friends, Judas, has already betrayed him. He knows that in just a few moments that, these, that this Roman legion is going to come and, and carry him away. He knows that he'll be stand up in a trial, a mock trial. He knows that people will be making fun of him. He knows that he'll be beaten. He knows the cat of nine tails is coming. He knows the flesh on his back will be ripped off. He knows that they're going to put a crown of thorn on his head. He knows that people will spit at him and laugh at him. He knows that all of sin, from Adam and Eve until the very last one committed, will be placed on his shoulders. And he knows there's going to be a period of time when he is separated from his father, God. He knows all that. And so in this garden, he's praying. And in and, and, and three different times, he, he has this, he, he tells his disciples, like, listen, something really bad is coming or, or hard is coming. And, and, and he's expressed all this to him. And, and he's saying, pray for me, pray for me. And he leaves and he goes off, prays, comes back and they're asleep. He does this three times. In Luke, the same one who wrote Acts, the doctor, in his statement of the Garden of Gethsemane, tells us that he was in such agony. Jesus was in such agony. He's praying so hard that he wasn't just sweating, which if we think about this, guys, how many of us have ever prayed so hard that we sweat? But he wasn't just so intense that he was sweating, but the Bible tells us, that Luke tells us, that that sweat turned to blood. And that's how much. And he's begging God, his father, and he's saying, Father, remove this cup from me. Come up with another way. But if not, your will be done. And I share with these students that so often in, in my life, I've looked at that passage. I've heard that passage since I was a little kid, and I've always thought of it from Jesus' perspective. 
But how many times have we thought of it from God's perspective? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. If my estimation is correct, all the adults in this room have kids close to it soon. Those of us who have children can remember the first time we held each of our children. We can think of that first cry. We can think of, of how just in a millisecond that child grabbed a hold of us like we had never been held before. And that to this day, even, even as, as we have grandparents here, that we, we would do anything for our children, wouldn't we? And we understand that as, as Jesus is crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in such intensity, in such agony that, that the sweat has turned to blood, that God the Father loved you and me, you and me, so much that he turned his back on his son. When we understand that kind of love, it changes everything. It should no longer be a, a, a thing of rules and regulations of whether I need to do that or should do that or, or whether I want to do that. When God calls us, when we, we know God is leading us somewhere, we start deciding to kind of count our cost and evaluate things. Do you think that God and Jesus in heaven did a little pro and con about whether Jesus should come to earth or not for you and for me? So Philip goes and he shares this with them. And unlike Simon, the sorcerer, the magician, in the beginning of this chapter, the eunuch accepts Jesus. And they're along in this chariot ride. And verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, the, and as he, passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so they're in this chariot, and they see this water, and this Ethiopian turns to Philip. He's like, listen, hey, there's, there's water right here. What's, what would be stopping me from being baptized? And Philip says nothing. So they get out. And Philip baptizes them. Then and there. It wasn't a matter of how many people are there going to gather up to watch it. It wasn't a matter of making sure he had the right clothes on. He, none of that mattered this Ethiopian. He had just finally understood. He understood what this was all about. He understood what Jesus had done for him. He understood this love that God had for him. And he had, he had accepted him as his Savior. And, and he wanted to be baptized. He wanted everybody to know. And we have this quick little miracle that takes place because, I mean, Philip baptizes him. He gets out of the water. And then the Holy Spirit carries Philip away. And the eunuch didn't even realize it. He was so happy. He rejoiced. Do you remember at the beginning of this chapter when we talked about Samaria? As the town began to accept Jesus, Luke describes that there was great joy found in Samaria. 
And it's the same way he describes this Ethiopian. That once he found Jesus, he was rejoicing. History tells us, tradition tells us that this Ethiopian eunuch went home and began to share the gospel and revival spread. I think there's a few takeaways from this. One, one is this. The very first chapter of Acts, verse 8, is the Great Commission. Jesus tells the disciples, Holy Spirit's coming, and once the Holy Spirit comes, the power comes with it. You're to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And as we look at this story, we consider Philip. Philip, in the beginning of the chapter, is this guy that, that is standing there preaching before hundreds and thousands of people, and he leaves that for one person on the side of a road in the desert. That tells me that God will go through great lengths to reach us, you and to me. And once he reaches us, and once we accept him as our Savior, that great commission isn't a great suggestion. It isn't, hey, if it's convenient, if you feel like it, maybe you could tell someone about me. It's a command that he's given us. Well, again, we might think that's hard. It's, it's uncomfortable. There's, there's, there's so many things that could go wrong. And I would just encourage you to think back to the Garden of Gethsemane and think back to a cross. And there was nothing easy there. J. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. I believe it was 18... I can't remember if it was 57 or 37. He had gone to China and began witnessing to people. He finally led this one man, Mr. Nye, to the Lord. And he was so excited. And one of the first things he, he said to them is, is, how long have you known about this Jesus? How long have, you, have your people known about this Jesus? And Taylor turned to him and said, for centuries. The man's head dropped. Confusion filled his eyes. And he said, my father is dead. And no one came to tell him about Jesus. What took you so long? Folks, I, I believe this very strongly. We are a room full of Philips. And there is a world full of Ethiopian eunuchs. And God's called us to go to them. And sometimes, sometimes it is inviting someone to church. But oftentimes, it's sitting with somebody in Chick-fil-A and telling them about the love of Jesus. And I want to encourage us to do exactly what Philip did. To go. I mean, he rose up and went. Later on, as if you remember, as we read that, when, when the eunuch talked to him about, about the chariot to, to come in, Philip ran. <laughs> we ought to be ready. Um, Paul, when he was talking to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, which means be ready always. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
We always need to be ready. And listen, you might say, but what if they ask me? They very well may ask you the dreaded question that you don't feel you have the answer to. James tells us to ask God for wisdom, and he'll supply it. There are times in our lives, I've had several conversations where someone asked me a question that I don't know the answer to. You know what my normal response is? I don't know, but I'm going to try and help you find out. God has never called us to have all the answers all the time. He just calls us to be faithful. And as we're faithful and as we're relying on the Holy Spirit, he'll guide us and direct us. He'll lead us to the Ethiopian eunuchs. And we have no idea what they're going through. We do a great job in this world, in our society, of masking everything, don't we? Don't we? I mean, we mask things all the time. It doesn't matter how famous you are or how poor you are. The more and more I read the news, the more and more I believe this, that some of the absolute most miserable people in the world are the most famous. I mean, I just read an article, I think it was yesterday, about a famous BMX star who committed suicide at 40, 41. How many tragic stories do we hear about with celebrities? But yet our whole world wants to be one, don't we? See, we have no idea what people are facing. We have no idea what questions they're asking. And there are people, I promise you, and in all likelihood, there are people here this morning that have heartache, that are just wanting a shoulder to cry on, someone to talk to, someone to listen to, someone to pray with. They're searching for something, and the answer is Jesus. And God's chosen you to be the Philip in their lives. And I want to encourage us to be ready, to be faithful, to pray to God that he gives us these opportunities and that when they arrive, that we go, that we run towards them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for all the things you've done for us. Thank you for this story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Lord, I, this touches on something that's hard. It's not in most of our comfort zones. Faith is a very personal thing. And Lord, we, we just ask that, that you help us. Help us to be tender to your leading. Help us not to come up with a list of excuses. Lord, I pray that you help us to all just fall madly in love with you. And as we grow close to you, use us. Help us to find those people who, who are searching for something. Help us to find those individuals who, who feel like They've hit rock bottom and there's nowhere to turn. Lord, lead us and guide us towards them. Prepare us with, with the strength and the courage. Give us the answers to the questions they have. Fill us with your power. Give us your knowledge. Give us your heart. Lord, I, I pray that if there's any here this morning that are here, Maybe they're just like that Ethiopian eunuch. That they've been searching. 
They've gone to a place and they've looked through a Bible. They have questions and they're still searching for answers. Lord, I pray this morning that that you reach them. That they see and they feel and they realize your love. May they give their lives to you today. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you work. And we thank you for what you'll do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a, a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.